Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. And while we do that, we're going to uh, put up our creed statement. We have uh, each week, we say something from one of our creeds or confessions. And I thought we would see the first sentence of chapter 24, paragraph 2 of the Westminster Confession of Faith on the purpose of marriage. Mike, if you would put that up for us. Very interesting what hundreds and hundreds of years ago our fathers in the faith said about marriage in our confessional statement. Interesting grammar, too, by, in that, by the way, in that last phrase. I think it's actually correct, but I never say it that way. But let's recite this together. Marriage was ordained for the mutual help of husband and wife for the increase of mankind with a legitimate issue and of the church with an holy seed. Isn't that interesting? The mutual help. Husbands, did you know you need help? Wives, did you know you need help? All people need help. This is God's way. All right, Mike, you can take that down, and I'm going to read from Genesis 1, 26 through 29, and then the familiar passage, Genesis 20, chapter Genesis 2, 20 through 25. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. Then down in Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 through 25. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam... No suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So far the reading of God's word. I was fascinated this past year by one of the top news stories that happened toward the end of the summer 
when the president of a large fast food chain in an interview said that he believed in the biblical definition of marriage. And did you notice in the news what happened as the word got out that the president of Chick-fil-A endorsed the biblical definition of marriage? You remember? The cultural elite and the media elite rose up in outrage. How dare he? And they protested their stores. And even the mayor of Boston, the mayor of Chicago, said, we'll do what we can to stop those stores in our cities. Oh, my. Now, I do know that that was about in most people's minds, the introduction of homosexual marriage into our culture. But he went on to explain in interview after interview that he just simply believed in God and he affirmed what God has to say in his word about marriage. That's what he believes. I have a secret to confess to you. So do we. So do we believe what God's word says about marriage. And as the president of that company said, is it, you know, God's way is the best way. God's way is the way I want to be. And so we've been studying what God's word has to say. And we're in this series, and in the fifth of an eight-week series on this subject. And let's review as we come into the new year. Remember that first Sunday, Pastor Martin came to us and he said, listen, of all the things we need to remember about marriage, we need to know that one grand purpose in marriage is for husband and wife to help each other become more like Jesus. <laughs> that marriage is about being sanctified. God uses marriage to sanctify us. And, and when you ask the question, Martin said, how can I help my wife or my husband be more like Jesus? It changes everything. Now, in the second week, I preached from Ephesians 4 about communication in marriage. And we asked you to listen to yourself. Do you listen to yourself as you talk to your wife or to your husband? And we asked, do you use rotten words? It describes some kind of speech as rotten words. Or do you use words that build up? In all your relationships, this is about all relationships, but do you use words that build up and nourish and encourage or do you use words that tear down and destroy? Because you see, Jesus Christ has spoken the good word to you, and now you clothe yourself with Christ, and your speech is to be filled with his grace. And then the third Sunday, we confronted the stranger I married. And remember, we looked at the fact that one day you wake up and you discover that you did not marry yourself. <sighs> Who is this person? And am I stuck with them? But we then explored that marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant of companionship. And that although this person now seems like they have changed or they've disappointed you or they don't measure up exactly how you thought they should measure up, nonetheless, you're in a covenant. It's a binding covenant. It's the, the Hebrew word there is, is glue-type language. Yeah, in, in, in 
this root word there, it actually talks about being an adhesive. And so when you feel like you're married to a stranger, nonetheless, you put on the mind of Christ and you minister to them and you rebuild that relationship together. And then fourth, last week, Pastor Martin talked to us about the crucial necessity of forgiveness in marriage and how you and I need to develop in all our relationships, but most particularly in marriage, the daily habit of learning how to forgive because you're going to have to. And it says in Colossians 3.17, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And that's the pattern over and over, again and again. And now today we come to this fifth message and it takes us back to the book of Genesis. And, and this morning I want to talk with you about some of the most beautiful aspects of marriage. Because as we've seen in our culture, there is a trend that is despising marriage in many ways. God's views of marriage. And I want to encourage all of you, single or adult, or, or uh, young or adult, or single or married, or married for many years, or perhaps divorced, or perhaps you're, you just all you have are adult children who might need some wisdom from you. But whatever it is, pay careful attention to some beautiful things that God has said in his word about marriage this morning. And Really, it's just two things that I will show uh, from the text this morning. That God wants you in your marriage to live shoulder to shoulder and face to face. And when you appreciate this and you live this way intentionally, shoulder to shoulder, bearing the burdens together, pulling in harness together, and when you cultivate intimacy face to face, with your husband or with your wife. You're going to experience a deep joy and satisfaction in your marriage. And I also know, as a pastor and as a sinner, that when you fall off the cart and you get lazy and you don't pull in harness with your spouse, and when you put up walls and you divide off uh, yourself from them, then there is misery and there is frustration, and there is pain. So this morning I want all of us to be on board with what God's Word says so beautifully here, that first of all, you live in your marriage shoulder to shoulder. And I just come to that because we're looking at Genesis 1 before we look at Genesis 2, but you could reverse them in terms of, of order. It doesn't matter. But what does this mean? Well, to get on board with this, you need to go all the way back to creation. In Genesis chapter 1. And you need to understand that you are created in the image of God. And this means so much. You are made in the image of God. And some of you are saying, this is old stuff. I know this. I know as a Christian who I am is defined by who God is. And some of you say, you know, God is a moral being. And I am a moral being, and so I have a sense, a conscience of right and wrong, and that's true. And some of you are saying, yes, and God is a social being. He's a God of love. He's a God of relationship. And I am a social being. And uh, God is a thinking being. He is cognizant. He is aware within himself. And I am a thinking being. 
And you know, all of that is good and true, and it's important for Christians to know this, but, but pay attention now. Listen to this. The Christian sense of the image of God is not just about who you are. It's also about what you do. Because when he created man in his own image, he said, then right away, he said, let him rule over the earth. And let him subdue the earth. Essentially, let him manage the earth. And so he said to Adam, you are created in my image and I make you my vice regent. I make you my vice ruler over the earth that I created. For you see, God is a creator. God is a worker. And he made you to be a worker. And work is good. Did you know that? Every time you sort out the junk mail from the important mail, you are imaging God and bring order out of chaos. Every time you take that big pile of dirty dishes and you wash them and you put them away, you are conquering the chaos. That's what my wife likes to say. She talks about, you know, conquering the chaos in the Yenchko home. And and we conquer the chaos. Every time you fold the clean laundry finally and put it away, you are imaging God, bringing order out of chaos, doing the work that he appointed you to do. Every time the farmer harvests the crops and brings them in, every time you feed a hungry child, every time uh, you go to work in the morning, you see the Christian understands what the non-Christian does not. The Christian understands that the work that I do is to be offered as an offering to God, reflecting His image. As the nurse brings healing, as the, as the policeman brings order and safety, as the student learns and discovers new things, as the miner pulls the ore out of the ground, he's having dominion over the earth. You were created in the image of God, not just to be, but also to do. And Adam must have been thrilled but then God says he needed help. He needed help. And this wasn't Adam who said, I need help. It was God who saw that Adam needed help. And so what did he do? He created a helper suitable for him. What do you mean I need help, Adam says? If I have to plow the field, I've got the ox. If I need to chase down the sheep, I've got the German shepherd. But God knew better, you see. God knew that he needed someone like him, but who would complement him, who would help him. And so the ox and the German shepherd were not good enough. He needed someone else who bore the image of God. And the Westminster Confession of Faith tells us in that first phrase, when they define marriage, they say to us that marriage is for the mutual help of husband and wife. It's just talking about having a partner to pull in harness with you as you go through life. And your marriage needs to reflect this. You know, <laughs> just a couple weeks ago, Nina and I, this is not us, these are two good-looking models here, but we, we did our annual fall cleanup, right? And there were about 35 large trash bags of leaves and bush cuttings. And, you know, I would pile them up, pile them up, but 
tell me, what's the worst part of raking leaves? What's the worst part of it? Yeah, putting them in the bags. That's the hardest part. If all you have is two hands, what's it like if you only have two hands? You kind of get it in, but the bag collapses and falls apart. But if you have a partner who holds the bag open while you lift up the leaves and put them in, voila! Shoulder to shoulder, facing the challenges of life. How are you doing? In the best marriages, in the healthiest marriages, I suppose a psychologist would say in the most functional marriages, well, biblically functioning marriages, we would say, these are the ones where the male and the female, the husband and wife, have learned how to pull together as they move forward through the challenges and the, the, the trash of life, the chaos around them, living shoulder to shoulder. How are you doing in this if you're married today? Some men are not very good at this. Some men say to themselves, I worked 40 hours a week and brought home the bread. And now in my dominion I should be served. Some men are chauvinists. They just assume that menial manual labor around the home is unworthy of them. And they treat their wife. I love this picture. Don't you love this picture? Sorry it's not brighter. Husband of the year. And that's how some of you men are. It's what you expect. You got into this marriage to be served rather than to serve. And this is contrary to what the Bible teaches. Some of you women are terrible at shoulder to shoulder. Your goal, your icon, the person you want to be like. Who is this? There she is, one of our heroes, Peg Bundy. I'm dating myself here, aren't I? Here she is, the princess who won't lift a finger. Life is about her pleasures. And the thought for her of, of needing to work, well, that's for the servants. That's for the, the paid staff that my husband is paying for to take care of all our family's needs. Shoulder to shoulder, together, facing the challenges of life. When you do the best marriages I know are those where husband and wife labor together eagerly, sacrificially, tirelessly together to conquer the chaos. How do you do this? Well, you have to figure it out. There's, the Bible does not explain the division of labor. There is both division of labor and there's cooperation in labor. And uh, you, you just have to talk a lot about your expectations. A couple weeks ago, I laid up the conference table. Remember that table with two chairs, husbands and wives? You need to talk. You do 
need to talk often, respectfully, quietly, attacking the problem, not the person. Remember that rule? Attack the problem, not the person. But you need to talk about your expectations, what's getting done, what's not getting done, and how you conquer the chaos and subdue the world around you together. Like what? Well, here's just a little list if you're taking notes, like raising the children. It's not just one or the other, but you do it together. It's both of you engaged in their lives. It's running your home and managing your household. Yeah, who does the laundry? How does it get done, and how does it get put away? Mm. And is a chair in the bedroom really a coat rack? That's always a big discussion, you see. How does the food get purchased, cleaned up after the meal? You know, in our family, I could tell you a thousand stories. In our family, Nina is always filled with dread every time I go into a grocery store. Why is that? Because I'm a broken record. I remember when chicken was 39 cents a pound, you know, and my parents used to get whole chickens at 39 cents a pound, and they'd cut it up, and they'd freeze it, and, 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 um, and then, of course, all my impulse buying. I'm a typical man going to a grocery store, especially when I'm hungry, and it's terrible. So there is a division of labor in the Yenchko household, and Nina wants to do the grocery shopping and wants to keep me out in the car, you see. But you, you, need, you need to talk and figure these things out. And then, of course, there is the, the greater labor of your own personal vocation. Some of you are educators. Some of you are doctors. Some of you are homemakers. So, you know, uh, some of you are, are uh, business people. And you need to be encouraged by your spouse in your work. And we do that. You know, I remember my wife. I, I, will, I will, would, will never be able to repay her from when I wrote my doctoral dissertation. And my wife typed all 265 pages on a typewriter. Am I in her debt? I am in her debt. She got all the footnotes right, too. She supported me. She encouraged me on in my work. You see, and this is so important. If you're in, the, if you're, whether both husband and wife work, you need to encourage each other forward in your development, in your vocation. And then, and then there's ministry, the labor of ministry together. And I love it in this church. In this church, there are so many fantastic examples of people who use their homes for hospitality, who engage in mercy ministry together who lead home fellowship groups, who come and pray, husband and wife, in prayer meetings, and they engage in the labor of prayer together. And, and the, they teach Sunday school. There's just ministry, ministry, ministry is labor. It's a beautiful thing. And I just mentioned the labor of prayer. Do you know sometimes the hardest work in a marriage? It's praying together. It's praying together, turning off the TV, putting down the newspaper. Husbands, say to your wives, let's pray together. Wives, say to your husbands, let's pray together. The labor of prayer. Yeah, yeah, they know you're a hypocrite. Yeah, yeah, they know you're a sinner. But still, 
you've got to pray together. That's the work that he gives you to do, living shoulder to shoulder. And I love the way so many of you do this. You're great examples to me. Secondly, you live in your marriage face to face. And this is talking about the one flesh relationship. And this is so beautiful. It speaks of the intimacy that is involved in marriage. Intimacy. And while there is there the description of the conjugal sexual uh, closeness in marriage, it's also speaking of the spiritual, emotional, intellectual energy that you put toward knowing one another in marriage. And God brings this about for Adam, right? I told you, he needed help, but Adam also needed companionship or partnership. And we looked at that a few weeks ago. But he needed companionship. Someone made like him. And so she needed someone made like her who could commune uh, one with the other. And so, look at what happens. What do you see there when Adam, when God wakes him up? Adam, wake up! I've got one more creature for you to name. And he looks at her, and it's obvious. Because, see, what we have now is the first recorded human words in Hebrew poetry, and what you see is it's so obvious that he has studied her. And he examines her. And he likes what he sees. And he knows that she is like him. of humankind made in the image of God. She is like him. And she is different from him. Wow. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And, and though she is equal with him, he's not threatened by that. And though she is different from him, it's not a menace in his mind. But she compliments him, and he is happy to study her and live with her face to face. Do you see that? Man is made for intimacy. Humans, male and female, are made for intimacy. That's why the teenagers in this church suddenly discover... At one point, the light, the switch goes on. Wow. And they start to notice someone from the opposite sex. And when they have that attraction, it's not sinful to have that attraction. Uh, We parents know we better set up boundaries. We better teach them about boundaries. And we better teach them about the fact that you should not enter into the benefits of marriage until you embrace the responsibilities of marriage. Isn't that true? And so we do teach those appropriate boundaries that they need to be. But I'll tell you what, do teenagers, once they discover a special friend of the opposite sex, do they enjoy looking into their eyes? Do they enjoy talking on the telephone? And again, that's why we do set up boundaries as responsible parents, you see. And we teach them to guard their hearts until it's time, the book of Solomon's, Song of Solomon says, until you enter into marriage. But don't be surprised 
This is the way God wired you, this desire for intimacy. And it's not just teenagers, it's all of you who are single or single again, widowed or divorced. All of you. God created us for intimacy. Now, those of you who are marriage, who are married, you remember your wedding day, and living face to face was easy. Then the years go by, and the challenges, and the struggles of raising children, and the disappointments, both with each other and in your career, come along, and pretty soon, just as you live shoulder to shoulder together, you somehow forget to live face to face, and something dies in that relationship. How are you doing? How are you doing? at living face-to-face in your marriage. How do you do it? Well, in the New Testament, we have verses like 1 Peter 3, verse 7. And, And that verse says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Do you catch that phrase, the the someone weaker? We'll talk about that (laughs) some other time next week maybe. But, But catch that phrase. Live with your wives in an understanding way. What is he commanding you men to do? Men, listen to me. What is he commanding you to do? He's commanding you to study your wife to realize what makes her tick, what makes her who she is. And, and, you know, I don't know. I really don't know if there's anything to this women are from Venus, men are from Mars stuff. You can make generalizations, but I don't think that's fair to our wives or to the women God puts in our lives. Why is that? Because every woman is special. Every woman is unique. Every woman. You can't just say, well, she's like this and, and make generalizations. Men, husbands, you need to get to know her. And Paul commands Titus to teach in his church, have the older women teach the younger women to love their husbands. And it's the Greek word phileo, which means friendship, love. Because apparently, women, apparently, you need training in how to be a friend to your husband. You need training. Because apparently it's not natural for you to be a real encourager of the guy and, and to understand him and, be, and, and, and cheer him on in, in the stuff that makes his soul thrill. I guess you're not very good at it. Otherwise, you wouldn't need the training, but apparently you do. And so, study your husband and commit yourself in that face-to-face relationship to build him up and encourage him forward. Listen, listen. Your husband, he can... He can go out and knock on doors and try and make the sale, and they shut the door in his face. And he comes home, and the neighbor yells at him and curses him, you know, and, and uh, the, the, the check that he wrote bounced and comes back. But the wife says to him, I'm so glad I married you. I'm really... I really appreciate how you're out there and you're doing your best. Thank you. How does he feel? How does he feel? He feels great. He feels great. 
But he goes out and he makes the big sale and he gets the big commission and the neighbor slaps him on the back and says, hey, buddy, it's great to be your neighbor. And he comes in and his wife says, you're a bum. The world doesn't know it, but I know it. How does he feel? He feels terrible. And so, we need to live face to face, don't we? Nurturing, intimacy, appreciation, encouragement, delight, mutual delight, one in the other. And Song of Solomon expresses how that's supposed to be. Listen, Ed Wheat, who's one of my favorite writers, he's a Christian medical doctor, and he's written a, a, a fantastic book on marriage. And in one chapter, he says, if you want to create the face-to-face intimacy, you have to do what is best, B-E-S-T. Some of you have heard me when I do weddings. You've heard me talk about this. B, bless. E, edify. S, share. T, touch. If you want to live face to face, then bless. And that means pray. Pray for, pray with, pray blessing upon your husband or your wife. You're a Christian, and so if you're a Christian, you pray for your wife or your husband. And you bless them. That's well words of blessing. You stand like Aaron of old. The Lord bless you and keep you. You bless them. And then you edify. And we've already talked about that. You commit words edify. It's a construction term to build them up. And then you share. Some of us, we build walls. We shut down. We don't want to take the risk because it's risky to be honest about who we are. Share and then touch. And this, there's sexual touching, but there's also the non-sexual touching. Holding of hands. Just an arm around the shoulder of encouragement. And you learn to touch. Work. Intimacy. Together. You know, isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ, who's called the bridegroom, said, he announced on his way to the cross, I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. He worked with and for his bride, the church. And as he shepherded the flock, he said, my sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me. He expresses such intimacy with his bride. What a Savior. So, it's New Year's. I told you we need to take some inventory, personal inventory. How are you doing on this? Some of us are better at shoulder-to-shoulder and not too good at face-to-face. Some of us are good at face-to-face, not very good at shoulder-to-shoulder. And some of us, after hearing this message, are saying, Mercy. I'm not very good at either of these. Well, we're all in process. We're all in process, aren't we, church family? We're all in process. So let the Lord speak to you now. Let him speak to you now. Bow your heads with me and and, uh, let us pray together and acknowledge that he is our Lord now. Wherever you are in your life, single or married, commit your way to him and ask him to make you a blessing to these people in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great bridegroom, Jesus Christ.
who finished the work that you gave him to do. What a worker. We pray that you would make us workers made in your image, representing you in the cultural mandate in this world and in the gospel mandate, working, working to spread the love of your kingdom and your gospel. For those of us who are married, would you teach us to labor shoulder to shoulder? Would you inspire us to love well face to face? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.